welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. I imagine that we've all probably had the experience of, of having someone intrude upon our private conversation with another person. Depending on the circumstance and the character of the intruder, such a disruption can be a welcome one or it can be a complete irritation. For example, if you and a friend are are sitting outside at a cafe having a, a meaningful conversation and another mutual friend happens to come by, you might find that inviting this person to join you actually enhances the conversational experience. On the other hand, if you are cherishing the moment with your significant other and getting ready to propose marriage, the sudden appearance of a casual acquaintance who exhibits very few social skills would probably be unwelcome. But either way, whether welcome or unwelcome, such disruptions change everything. The regulations regarding temple worship in ancient Israel were designed in part to limit certain disruptions. Men who had suffered genital mutilation or had become eunuchs could not enter the assembly of worship. Foreigners who sought to worship Israel's God could come near. They could pray toward the house of worship, but not in it. And people like that who might try to force their way in would be considered uninvited guests, people whose very presence would change everything, and the change would not be considered to be good, at least according to religious requirements. In Jesus' day, there were also social conventions that were designed to limit disruptions, especially when those who might be disrupted were of a lofty social class. Simon, a Pharisee and probably well-to-do, invited Jesus to dine with him, either to test Jesus' reputation as a prophet or because he thought Jesus was a rising star in the itinerant rabbi business and and it might be good to get to know him. So by specifically limiting his invitation to Jesus, along with a few of Simon's friends, to eat at his table, Simon put a, a kind of boundary around unwanted disruptions. Now, not that there wouldn't be some disruptions in the natural course of things, but but they would be very short-lived. It would not be unusual for needy people to stop by and ask for a a bit of food or or some money while while the wealthy were dining out on their front patios. Simon was probably well-practiced at at dispensing some bread or tossing out a few coins without missing a beat in the conversation and then sending the needy people on their way. But when the woman showed up, things got a bit tense. This was a very different kind of disruption. Simon identifies her, as do the scriptures, as does Luke, as a sinner, most likely a known prostitute. To have such a person in the home of a religious leader would certainly be considered scandalous. Nevertheless, she entered the dining area and positioned herself at Jesus' feet. She hadn't come for assistance. She wasn't asking for anything. 
She came to give something to Jesus. She came to serve him. Well, we don't know what the woman already knew about Jesus, but it's likely that she had encountered him at some point, even if she just heard him teach somewhere along the way. Whatever the connection, she apparently felt that she could approach him in the intimate way that she did, regardless of the obvious disruption she would create. Now, Simon is quietly hostile toward this unwanted visitor. But Simon's hostility expands beyond the woman to include Jesus. And Jesus was the invited guest. Certainly, Simon saw Jesus' credibility as a prophet to be fractured since Jesus didn't seem to know the nature of the woman's character. But true to form, Jesus turns the tables on Simon. Simon has offered Jesus a, a semblance, a caricature of hospitality, but it ended up being an arena for critique and judgment, which may have been Simon's intent all along. In contrasting the love and welcome offered by the woman with Simon's rather weak and probably duplicitous show of neighborliness, Jesus reveals the difference between hostility and hospitality. Hospitality has always been an essential ethic for the people of God. At least, it's an ethic that God has always insisted must permeate the character of the people of God. Foreigners who migrated to ancient Israel were to be considered resident aliens. That is, people who didn't share all the rights of the native Israelite people, but who were to be treated as though they enjoyed full citizenship. In the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, God tells the people that they are to love the stranger, reminding them that at one time they were strangers in the hostile environment of Egypt. This, uh, this ethic of loving the stranger, loving the outsider, was of course still considered an important practice in Jesus' day, as you would expect. Receiving someone previously unknown to you, a foreigner or traveler, was not only an act of kindness, but also a way to help someone survive in a place where they lacked a roof over their head. Simon seemed to have lost sight of this deep ethic of hospitality, and he used his rather thin version of it as a tool for inspection of Jesus, and then revealed it as the self-righteous form of hostility that it really was. It's, uh, it's easy for us to talk about hospitality, especially in the life of the church, because we do want to welcome one another, as well as new people, into our worshiping community. Now, some churches even have hospitality teams with special name badges or, or booths that are designed to help newcomers navigate the premises and, and hopefully have a meaningful worship experience. And while th that's a good start, it, it really isn't right at the heart, right at the deep structure of hospitality. Hospitality requires the embracing of the stranger in such a way that a change to the community is allowed. In a sense, when the other, the other, is welcomed, the character of the community isn't just changed. In a sense, 
it dies. Here's what I mean. Let me go back to my opening example. Uh, you and your friend are having this, this deep and even intimate conversation at a sidewalk cafe. And your mutual friend happens by and, and approaches your table. You are pleased to see the friend and you invite her to join in. And so she sits down and the conversation changes. The conversation shifts. In fact, the conversation and even the character of the relationship with your first friend in that particular setting dies. It dies in the sense that with the inclusion of the newcomer, the traveler, the wanderer, even though that person is a friend, the old connection cannot be the same. Where there were two, there are now three. And even if the conversation resumes, the addition of the third person changes everything in the shared relationship. So yes, in a way, the old suffers a death. But the new is a kind of resurrection. As I've been thinking about hospitality this week, I've come to realize that we've had a stranger in our midst for a year now, and of course, that stranger's name is Pandemic, and it has been an uninvited, unwanted guest, one that we do not love and we have not welcomed. But it forced its way into our shared life, and everything we enjoyed and cherished as a worshiping community, in a sense, died. But something new also emerged as we struggled to find new ways to be together, new ways to be attentive to God, new ways to welcome others into our midst. I find this reflection to be helpful because I am reminded that once we open up again, what we will have will not be the old thing we enjoyed in the past. It will be something new. It will not be a resuscitation where a dead body just starts breathing again. If our shared life is submitted to the work of the Spirit of God, it will be a resurrection. And our biblical understanding reminds us that resurrection reveals a new kind of body, even as it shows the marks of the old. In Jesus' resurrection, which is going to be a big topic and celebrated for us very soon, in that resurrection, a new community of people came to life. It is from this community that we call the body of Christ, the church, that things like hospitality are demonstrated as part of our call to be the light of the world. Uh, we know that we are living in very difficult times, not only because of the pandemic, but also because of rising racism and violence and division in our country. All actions that have the fear of the disruption of power centers right at their core. This tends to create a kind of culture of suspicion where the other becomes an object of concern, like catching viruses, and even an object of hostility. The recent acts of horrific violence that we have seen, as recent as this last week in Atlanta, are examples of that hostility, where the other is objectified and villainized and easily done away with by murder. 
in the economy of God. Hospitality is not only the welcoming of and love for the stranger. It's also helping people move from seeing themselves as outsiders to God's love to being insiders, ones who might see themselves as close to the heart of God. You know, we can see this played out in the, in the great story found in Acts chapter 8, a story that I suspect you're familiar with, where, where God leads Philip to speak with the Ethiopian eunuch about what he was reading in the scroll of Isaiah. The man was an outsider to temple worship on two counts. He was a foreigner, Ethiopia, and he was also a eunuch. But even after Philip baptized the man and then let him resume his travels, the man would have continued reading in his scroll of Isaiah, and he would have come very quickly upon our text for this morning and has and read, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. This man from Ethiopia, a, a worshiper of Israel's God, and, and yet an outsider to the temple community, would now understand that he was an insider in a very important way, that he was close to the heart of God. This understanding of deep hospitality, both as receivers and as givers, is really right at the heart of the gospel. God's expansive and generous hospitality is an invitation to the entire world to take their place at his table as family members and not as strangers. You know, when we celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, we are participating in and also demonstrated, de demonstrating the deep structure of hospitality. We come to the table not because of worthiness, but because Jesus has, has invited us to come and dine. After all, it's his table. No one has to show an ID card or a performance record to confirm their eligibility to come. We should imagine this table to be expansive and, and lengthy, running throughout history and, and into eternity. The invitation is broad, even though some will not receive it. But the act of hospitality still stands and is sign and wonder that points to God's ultimate intentions for that great banquet feast that is yet to come in the fulfillment of his kingdom. This woman who intruded upon Simon's dinner party seemed to know something about Jesus. She appears confident that, that she will not be dismissed by him as Simon might have done. And she does something scandalous and startling. She, she lets down her hair, a sign of vulnerability that might have served in the past as an enticement to a customer, but now serves to dry her tears that have been poured out on Jesus' feet. Then she anoints Jesus with a perfumed ointment that would have been an important tool of her former trade. She has brought her own world to Jesus and welcomed him into her place of frailty and sin. 
Jesus receives her and he forgives her sins, releasing her from her sins. In effect, redeeming all that was broken and outcast in her life, including the symbols of her occupation. That's the deep structure of hospitality. The other, this woman, had no respectable credentials to offer, so she offered herself and all that she had. But she offered herself in a way that was very different from the life she had known. Jesus received her and forgave her, changing not only the woman, but also the very character of the setting that they were in. Jesus reveals Simon's duplicity and his lack of hospitality and shows how the woman's honesty and vulnerability became a service to him. This was the scene of death and resurrection where the power of hostility died and true hospitality was raised. This deep sense of welcome, this valued practice of hospitality is something that the Bible reveals to be close to the heart of God. While it's important in relationships with all people, God repeatedly reminds his people to extend their love and care to those on the margins, to the outsiders, the suffering, and the abandoned ones. While being kind and welcoming is truly important, hospitality is much more than that. It's a way that disrupts hostility and exposes it for the evil that it is. In a world too often characterized by violence and fear and hatred and rage, the hospitality of the Christian community, an expression of love that comes from the heart of God, truly shines a light into the darkness. And for us, Embracing the hospitality of God, so richly revealed to us in the person of Jesus, allows us to extend that love to others and frees us from the ravages of hostility. May it be so among us. And as we do each week, we bring our own sense of vulnerability before God in an act of truth-telling that we call confession, where we speak what we are coming to understand about the frailty and brokenness of our own life, and we speak it before God who already knows these things about us, about us. and we come to this place of confession in full confidence that God not only hears us, but that God always forgives us. And so we speak these words of confession together. Lord God, you have shown us such love and stretched out your arms to draw us into your embrace. Yet, we so often fail to show that love within our lives or recognize its source. Forgive our short-sightedness for the times we failed to see your love in the generosity of friend or stranger, the shoulder to cry on, willing ear to listen, a word of encouragement holding our hand that extra mile. Forgive us for failing to notice how much you care for us. And now, 
May the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins. May he heal and strengthen us by his spirit and now raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. Amen.